know I'm Prop 53. So I hope that's Prop 53. Yes, on 51. Yes, on 64. Oppose the California Yes, on 64. Yes, on 64. Testing. Tried and true. Proposition 52 on the November ballot does two good things. I'm Chris Ancarlo, and this is Proposition. Positive for Howard Marks. Mr. Marks, by mandate of the District of Columbia Pre-Crime Division, I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubin. It was take place today, April 22nd, at 0800 hours, four minutes. No, I didn't do anything. Yeah, it's not quite the precogs of Minority Report, but, eh, you know, it's kind of easy to see why people may have some hesitance about criminal justice by algorithm, which is kind of where we're at with Prop 25. The algorithm is just part of the discussion about California becoming the first state to eliminate cash bail, but it's a big part of the discussion. This measure is unique on this year's slate of propositions in that it's the only referendum. Prop 25 is actually known by another name, SB 10 or Senate Bill 10. The doors opening on bail reform. SB 10 was quickly passed by the Assembly and Senate this week. Well, paying money to bail out of jail in California could be a thing of the past. Seriously, a bill that will change the criminal justice system is now sitting on the governor's desk. But if inked into law, it could ultimately shut down the bail bonds industry. Bail bonds companies are breathing a bit easier tonight. A new law eliminating cash bail has been put on hold, with state officials now saying voters will get the final say on the matter in 2020. End cash money bail. We have come up with an alternative that avoids the unjust and unfair cash money bail system that protects public safety, that makes sure people are treated justly and fairly. Democratic State Senator Bob Hertzberg of Van Nuys was one of the architects of SB 10. He says his quest to reform this aspect of the criminal justice system started several years ago. And I saw what happened in Ferguson where people were getting arrested and, and stuck in jail. That informed my thinking a lot and then subsequently to bail. I remember my father was a bail, an old jailhouse lawyer here in this jail, actually right over here a couple blocks away. You'd give $200 to the clerk, you'd come back, you'd get your $200. Now it's turned into a predatory lending industry. But American Bail Coalition Executive Director Jeff Clayton says the reform struck more like a thunderclap. You know, voters need to know that um, the entire history of California's bail law was rewritten in a period of six days. We found out on Friday that this language was going to happen and it became law on Thursday. Hertzberg says that change it wasn't brought about so suddenly. Nevertheless, he says opponents of SB 10 were quick to strike back with a drive to gather signatures for a referendum and a well-funded campaign to push for the defeat of the legislation. And so in this case, it's nearly $10 million that's been raised by the surety companies, the insurance companies, and the bail companies that want to overturn the law. And that's how we find ourselves here discussing Prop 25. Well, here's what happens. Basically, you know, 100 years ago in California, there was a lot of corruption and we came up with the initiative process and the referendum process and the recall process, all three together. Recall like we've seen with the governor, with Schwarzenegger being elected, the, the initiative where voters get out, whether it was Prop 13 or some of the initiatives you see on the ballot, whether it comes legislature, and, and a referendum. What's a referendum? A referendum is where the legislature passes and the governor signs a law and then, then a group comes out and gets signatures and says, no, we want the people to vote on that law. Since this is really about SB 10, we're going to start with the fight over that law. As we heard a minute ago, Clayton says the law moved at the legislative equivalent of a jump through hyperspace. And frankly, the uh, move to expand preventative detention in California was something that was not anticipated on that Thursday, uh, but became law uh, the following Thursday. 
I know, I know what you're thinking. What's preventative detention? Absolutely, that's the government's ability to deny bail, uh, something dreamed up by then uh, Deputy Attorney General William Rehnquist uh, in the U.S. Department of Justice in the 1970s, later uh, affirmed his own decision that the government could deny uh, bail to people based on uh, forecasting that they're dangerous uh, to society. And that was something that was antithetical, I think, to California's uh, system of criminal justice. And like I said, in a, a week later, it uh, you know, became law. Okay, what does that have to do with no cash bail? Well, here's the thing. If you don't have a cash bail system, you have to lean on a risk assessment system. And that system would keep suspects with a high likelihood of committing another crime or a high likelihood of taking off in jail. That already happens now in certain cases. Bail can be denied in particularly violent cases. Actually, now that I think about it, this is a good time to review the bail system. So just a quick surface level here. Let's say you get nabbed for bribery of a councilman in L.A. County. That's a, that's a good one for L.A. The bail schedule recommends $25,000 bail. And if you don't have twenty five grand laying around, allegedly because you gave a bunch of that money to a councilman, then you have two options. Number one is to stay in jail until your trial or pick up the phone and call a bail bondsman. You'll pay them 10% of the bail and they'll cover the rest. You're down 2,500 bucks, but hey, you're out of jail, at least until trial. Now, let's say you got that $25,000 in your back pocket. You throw it down. Uh, you get it back if you show up for court. And that's the rub with the current system. The status quo must go. To, criminal, to continue to criminalize poverty is just wrong. And if we continue to accept, accept this, then we're not really doing systems change. Sam Lewis with the Anti-Recidivism Coalition says a bias against poverty is systemic discrimination. The cash bail system is literally biased and based on race. Poor people in South LA and East LA are people that end up in the county jail. And that belief is part of what's fueled this movement to end cash bail. Again, it's a movement that Hertzberg says was more building rumble than thunderclap. The judicial branch, the Supreme Court, came up with a working group. Judges of all backgrounds, Republicans, Democrats, all parts of the state came together. And literally, the plan that we put together was what the judges wanted, which is the people that are in the courtroom that really understand what's going on, rather than just a bunch of folks trying to uh, put together a law. That, to me, is what's so credible about this approach. Hertzberg says that credibility is the foundation of the measure. This was not designed by politicians or groups on one side of the spectrum or another. It was judges who deal with this every single day. And they said cash bail doesn't work. And they were focused on a system that was both, you know, deals with public safety and flight risk. That's the key. But former Democratic State Assemblyman Mike Gatto says the ending of cash bail is more revolution than evolution. Whenever somebody comes up with a new proposal, and this is a very new proposal, uh, they have to justify why their idea is better than what we have now, what has served uh, society for a number of years now. Gatto is the spokesman with the No on 25 campaign. And here you have a proposal to get rid of a system that's been around for 1,200 years uh, with this vague notion that we're replacing it with a computerized algorithm. Uh, what the people you know, need to know, of course, is that there's 58 different counties each of the 58 counties would have a different algorithm. Each of the 58 counties would have to spend millions of dollars to develop it. There it is again, ah, that word algorithm. What does it even mean in the context of this measure? For that matter, what exactly is this measure, right? Well, again, it just gets rid of the cash bail system. If you get pinched for a low-level misdemeanor, you'd be released as you awaited trial. But if you get accused of uh, maybe a violent felony, you're likely to stay in jail until trial. 
But then there's this middle group, this middle category. This is where the algorithm comes into play. It would take into account all sorts of factors such as job status, criminal history, how often you've recently moved, and so on. That risk assessment would factor into whether you could be released and the conditions of your release. For example, you may have to be drug tested or you might have to check in with a parole officer. Ultimately, it would be a judge who decides, not a machine. Again, we haven't quite made it to the precognitive minority report yet. You don't need to turn their lives upside down where they have to put $5,000 up on the average bail that doesn't get refunded. It's really an unjust system. And in today's technology, it's pretty simple to be able to avoid all of the unintended consequences. And, you know, as I told Senator Hertzberg, these are the same judges that set the bail schedule. Do you think they're going to detain people? Uh, of course they are. Clayton says California has always been a right to bail state. What Senate Bill 10 would really is to authorize what we would consider an illegal backdoor, subversive detention, to create a front door. And that's what Senate Bill 10 does. And I think that's why it's kind of anti the tradition in you know, in California's right to bail. Clayton says the predictive nature of SB 10 is problematic and borderline unconstitutional. We, we, bail should not be based on whether I'm going to commit a new crime or not. And it never was uh, until we got into this idea uh, that, oh, this guy's not going to do it, so he should get out, and this guy's going to do it, and so he shouldn't get out. And so for me, I go back to, you know, USB Salerno. It needs to be overturned, and hopefully, you know, I don't think it'd be... Uh, Coney Barrett's going to overturn it because uh, she, you know, was a clerk from Justice Scalia who wrote the 7-2 majority opinion. But for my money, get rid of dangerousness, get it out of the system. That's the answer. The Salerno case was a Supreme Court decision that basically said pretrial detention did not qualify as punishment and that someone could be held if they were potentially a danger to the community. The decision arose from the no-bail pretrial detention of Mafia boss Anthony Salerno back in the 80s, and it laid the foundation for the argument for pretrial assessment. And here, the concern is that we're taking people out of the justice system and replacing them with a computerized algorithm. It's very easy to... Uh, to argue with a person, whether that person is a judge or a prosecutor. And in many cases, there are checks and balances in our system for human beings. But it's very hard to argue with a computer algorithm. Algorithms are, I guess they're okay for predicting what movie you might wanna see on Netflix or Amazon, but they're really not very good with determining whether or not someone should have their freedom. And Prop 25 outlines judicial input, but Gatto says he doesn't see a future with much deviation from the recommendations of the algorithm. Uh, one doesn't even have to look too far back in time. There was a proposed reform about a generation ago, which was sentencing guidelines. And we saw how those sentencing guidelines, for example, if you're arrested for a certain amount of rock cocaine, you should get eight to 10 years. It's a very rare judge. As a matter of fact, if you know one, you point them out to me, who says, gee, the sentencing guidelines say that this person should get eight to 10 years. I'm gonna scrap that. I'm gonna give this person one year in jail. And that's because judges are elected and because judges are human. The guidelines rapidly become a crutch. They rapidly become the de facto sentence that those judges impose. Lewis says risk assessment may be imperfect, but the current system falls too short, as illustrated by a story about one of his colleagues in the anti-recidivism coalition. Raul was arrested for vandalism. Under Prop 25 or under SB 10, he would have been released in 12 hours. Instead, he sat in the county jail for a week and he was murdered. The core argument against cash bail is that poorer people tend to get trapped into the system and they often end up making a plea deal, guilty or not, just to get out of jail. That's what happened to Stephanie Jeffcoat. Unfortunately, due to my family's lack of finances, I was forced to take a plea for felony charges. 
What I didn't know at that time was that by taking that plea, there would be over 4,800 collateral consequences that would follow me for the rest of my days. She says pressure mounted with each day being locked up. Caused me to have to be away from my kids, not being able to be there to support them for their birthdays, missing out on Christmases just because I was not able to bail out. But Clayton says there's no indication that the no cash bail system would avoid such a scenario. Well, I think the concern is the use of the algorithms and transferring that away from judicial discretion. You know, I always get the argument that, well, uh, you know, judges are racist, so therefore, you know, we need to move away from that. And I think that tastes evolve. I think people evolve. And I think the people in those um, judgeships evolve. And so I would trust human beings more so than I would, um, you know, these algorithms, which basically lock in uh, past historical data. Critics argue that because arrest rates have been higher for blacks and Latinos, that the algorithm is already weighted against those communities. And Clayton argues that prediction of behavior is fraught with unconstitutional implications. You know, I think historically, and you look back over a couple of generations to the 1960s, uh, the idea of dangerousness alone was not a concept that we would forecast human beings' future behavior and base any consequence of the criminal justice system based on that. And so I have no hope that we're going to be able to predict dangerousness to any degree of constitutional or scientific certainty. And, you know, for most people in the bail industry, you know, they like dangerousness, but we need to get rid of it. But Hertzberg says this is a fight less about predicting someone's danger and more about treating people according to the crimes they stand accused of committing. If you've got a broken taillight and didn't have your driver's license, you get stuck in jail, there's no flight risk there, public safety risk. If you were drunk in a bar or whatever and got arrested, there's no flight risk. And those people's lives are turned upside down. And, and so for the cases that are tough cases, big felony cases, the judge gets to make a determination about whether people stay in or, or, or don't stay in. The justice system under 25 would be less connected to the dollar side. What you do is you have people that should be released and have their lives not turned upside down getting out and people who should stay in should stay in. And because this system is based upon uh, uh, public safety and flight risk, not based upon how much money you have in your wallet. And on the question of money, Clayton says the motivation to fight SB 10 is about protecting the industry, but also protecting the Constitution. You know, as a industry that interfaces with the constitutional right, it's not just about the bottom line. If we focused on that, we would be advocating to criminalize things that wouldn't ordinarily be criminal, which has been my policy since I took over. We are not getting into the severity of the crimes or the severity of the bills. He casts this as a battle over the Eighth Amendment. Our job is to help people get their right to bail. And the old lady on Kearney Street in San Francisco was created for that very reason. It was the first bail shop in the United States of America, the friend of the friendless. And so if we forget that, then we, you know, we lose everything. And of course there's uh, corporations involved and all, all that sort of thing now that perhaps there weren't then. And I think even if you were to say there was no commercial bail in California, you would still say that the right to money bail, the right to monetary bail, the associational right for me to post your bail is still important. And, and I think that's where we've gotten. Uh, and of course, obviously I've been demeaned, you know, nine ways to Sunday for that, but I believe in the right to the, to the Eighth Amendment and I'd still be fighting for it even if I wasn't making money off the bail industry. The Eighth Amendment, by the way, just one line, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Now, Clayton points to the coalition that's built against Prop 25 as proof that it simply isn't a question about financial motivation. 
you know, Black Lives Matter and the California Association of Sheriffs uh, endorsed a no vote on the same day. And I think that tells you everything you need to know that um, it's so much more than just, you know, the right to make, the, uh, you know, money off of bail. The coalition is also a selling point for Gatto. I've never seen anything like this. I've been in politics for about 25 years and I've never seen anything like the coalition that is opposing Proposition 25. You have sheriffs and public defenders and prosecutors and retired judges and human rights organizations and uh, people who believe that there should be consequences for actions with victims' rights groups. Hertzberg says the coalition on the yes side is just as diverse and that the bail industry is pulling out all the stops to bring groups on board because the measure is an existential threat. Of course it should be about justice, but unfortunately, you know, I've been in government so long in and around government, helping others get elected and the like, and, and both serving as speaker and now as majority leader. And I'm never, quite frankly, uh, uh, surprised by some people's self-interests. These folks, you know, everybody invents a way to support their money and support their interests. And they're, you know, they're afraid they're going to be put out of business. And I understand that. But lots of times in society, things are put out of business that no longer are any good. Sometimes it's market conditions. Blockbuster video doesn't work anymore. And sometimes systems are replaced by new and modern technology, literally a text instead of a bail bond. And Lewis says this is a starting point that can be continually developed to be more fair. More importantly, under Senate Bill 25 and under Senate Bill 36, there are methods in order to evaluate if there's racial bias in these assessment tools that will be public information and will be sent to our state legislature so that we can change the t assessment tool and adjust it. Bringing the conversation back to center here, Hertzberg says it's important for voters to know that the legwork has already been done on this measure. It was already vetted by judges. It was already voted on by the legislature. It was already signed into law by the governor. Here's the insidious part of it. In addition to overturning the law, once that thing's qualified, they got enough signatures, which they did a year ago, the, the impact of the law stops and they can continue to stay in business making hundreds of millions of dollars. So literally, it's almost a billion dollars they'll make. Even when they lose, they'll still have kept it alive for another year and a half to continue to make money and stop the implication of the law. Bogato says this is a chance to hit the reset button. And so I think that, you know, Prop 25 is going to do exactly what people need right now is it gives the public a chance to say, wait a minute, we're going to vote no on this. We're going to tell the legislature to try to do better. We're going to all take a deep breath and determine what is the best system. Should we really be trusting people's freedoms with an algorithm? Should we really be letting folks out of jail without them going before a judge to get a thorough evaluation that the current system currently affords? And Clayton says there are better ways to handle the pretrial phase. Well, we look to Connecticut and some of the other states where they have reasonable bails, Colorado, my home state being one, two. I think the bails in California are too high. The schedules are too high. I think um, bail is not a punishment. Uh, in California, it seems to be, uh, and the judges seem to go along with it. So I think reducing the bail schedule, uh, you know, is the number one thing that we can think about, perhaps even as the, um, you know, district attorney in San Francisco has done, is get rid of the bail schedule. Perhaps we should just have individualized um, hearings on bail, and certainly alternatives. You know, we support alternatives for people who can't post bail, whether it be pretrial services, ankle monitors, and that sort of thing. And for his part, Hertzberg says a disproportionate amount of attention has been paid to the algorithm. But here's the issue. It is one tool that a judge has. The thing I like about bail reform is in the old days, under the current system, you have a, you have a price list for your liberty. You look at the list. If I have the money, I'm out. If I'm not, I'm, in, I, I, I'm stuck in. Under this system, you look at a judge in the eyeball. 
and the judge looks at you and assesses you and you get a real be treated like a human being rather than like a product and you get to make a determination and plead your case and he says it's a tool that's already being used right now 47 counties have algorithms right now 47 is 58 counties in california okay there's no requirement that they be tested and validated or whatever we require, if you're going to use an algorithm, it's got to be at a statewide level, it's got to be tested and validated, and one of the people that have to validate it is an expert in bias. So if, they're already, so if, if Prop 25 doesn't pass, we still have algorithms. They're untested. If it passes, we have to have any algorithm that's got to be used has got to be validated. All right, before we finish this up, let's check in for the final time this season with the law students over at the McGeorge School of Law who are putting together the California Initiative Review. Yev Pizlar took a look at the constitutional compliance of Prop 25. Yeah, the federal constitution only bans excessive bail, and uh, that <laughs> tends to focus more on the money aspect of things, and so it should not have any uh, issues. Rachel Pulio looked at how much this measure might cost the economy. The fiscal impact is really uncertain right now. Um, it, we won't really know because on the one hand, there might be increases based on an increased workload from having a new staff or um, more work for people to do these pretrial risk assessments. Um, but on the other hand, it could decrease the number of people housed in jail because pretrial detention is pretty high in California. She says there are revenue implications to keep in mind. There's also arguments related to tax revenue coming from the bail industry and the insurance fees that um, bail insurance companies have to pay. But it also could increase tax revenues because people who would normally spend their money on bail or on a percentage to a bail agent are putting that money into the economy on goods and services. All right, let's break this down. A yes vote means you support SB 10 becoming law, which would replace the money bail system with a risk assessment system that determines which suspects represent a flight risk and or are threats to community safety. Most misdemeanors would be released within 12 hours. Some misdemeanors and felonies would be assessed for possible release. People charged with severe felonies or deemed high risk, they'd stay in jail. The public voting no on Proposition 25 affords the voting public a rare opportunity, and that's the ability to tell the legislature that it needs to go back to the drawing board and do better on this one issue. The legislature proposed a system where they would get rid of bail entirely and replace it with a computer algorithm. Almost anybody who has studied it believes that a computer algorithm will be very unfair and that the system will be much worse than what we've got now. There's also people who are concerned that it will result in uh, people getting out of jail who shouldn't get out of jail. Uh, Prop 25 is a very, very expensive, very uh, brave new world idea of justice. And I think that uh, the idea that we substitute the bail system for an algorithm is something that just needs to be a little bit better thought out than what's before us in Prop 25. So I think everybody out there ought to vote no on Prop 25. To our opponents who say that this will give more discretion to judges, judges already have the discretion to determine how much your bail will be or even if you get bail. To our opponents who say that risk assessment is a problem, there are now 46 counties at least in the state of California that use a risk assessment to determine how much and if you get bail. Will California's system be more racist under Senate Bill 10? I don't know. I think there's certainly reason to assume it might um, and that it will um, entrench prior racial disparities as a matter of mathematics. 
uh, more so than a matter of preference. And so I would say, let's get a more diverse bench. Let's get more diverse prosecutors. Let's get more diverse public defenders. And I'll, I'll trust human beings more than I will a computer. But right now, this is the bail industry with their money, literally near $10 million. Just in the last couple of weeks, another $525,000 coming in from the insurance companies and bail companies in order to uh, defeat the will of the courts, the governor, and the legislature. And we included even one Republican who was voted for it in the Senate. So, yeah, well, I, I don't think it's a radical change. I think that the answer to the question is, we had this bill up in 2017. We held off to wait for the court's de decision. The court spent a year studying this. And they don't, let me tell you something, judges are not radical agents. They're very conservative. They research this left and right. And the framework that's provided isn't some crazy, radical, untested thing. Well, I think Election Day is going to be amazing, regardless of what happens. The oldest saying in the business is, we'll be drinking either way. That, that's it. We're done. That's the end of the ballot. We made it all the way through. I want to thank everybody for sticking with me. If you were with me from Prop 14 to now, that's a lot of, that's a lot of listening you did. And I want to thank you not just for listening, but for being devoted to the idea of democracy, for taking responsibility for how you vote on this ballot in this election. Sincerely, my gratitude to you. I can't wait to do this again in two years or four years or whenever we have more ballot questions coming before California voters. For the final time, I'm Chris Ancarlo. I may or may not approve of this podcast.